Well, what a, what a great opportunity to be here. A couple of things. First of all, I'm, a, I'm an expert in wrestling my children. Uh, I, I don't typically wrestle other people's children. Um, my, my, my family are here with me, uh, but they didn't ride here. I have taught them to ride, but um, we're, from, we're from Wollongong. And um, this morning I, I received a pretty cool Father's Day gift. Um, this was going to be my first Father's Day since I became a dad almost 16 years ago where I was not going to be with my family because I was here with you. And um, uh, on, on Thursday or, or Wednesday, I've been on the road for four or five or six or something days. In fact, for the last few weeks, I've been traveling a lot, giving a lot of talks and workshops and things. And, and, and we were sitting at the table for the one or two days this week that I was home. And, um, and I commented to the kids that I was a little bit disappointed because for Father's Day, I'd be in Melbourne. And um, my, my second youngest, uh, who's in, in, the, in the kids' ministry in the creation in the back there, uh, she said, don't worry, Dad, we'll surprise you. And I didn't know that what she meant was we'll come to Melbourne and surprise you. What I thought was that, you know, when you get back from Melbourne on Tuesday, we'll surprise you. And I, I let it go. My head was elsewhere anyway. And, and this morning I woke up after having a great night at Cheltenham last night and spending a terrific evening with, with uh, Pastor Rob and Christy. Uh, we, we just had such a great night. And I woke up this morning to discover that um, staying in the same hotel was my wife and six daughters. They, they drove down from Wollongong yesterday without telling me. And I woke up to a pretty cool Father's Day present. So um, can you give, yeah, stand up, stand up, you guys, stand up. <laughs> then they told me how much it was costing. And Father's Day suddenly took a dive. <clears throat> we'll, we'll sort that out later. Um, when, uh, so, so Kylie's here and, and so is Chanel, my eldest, who's about to turn 16, and Abby, who's about to turn 13. In the back, we've got Annie and Lily, who are, um, give me a second, who are, who are eight and five. And uh, in the car, sleeping is the baby with one of her other big sisters. Uh, they're all girls. Um, all, all, all of my children, all of our children are, are girls. And when I was um, walking into Bayside Cheltenham this morning, uh, one of the fellows, Greg, who was looking after the car park and making sure that only the right people parked in the car park, he saved me a spot, but I didn't know. So we, we walked 750 metres to get to the church. Um, <laughs> when, when, when I walked in, he, he said, you've got six daughters. I said, how awesome is that? He said, that's great. He said, I bet when you were a young man, you used to dream about being surrounded by beautiful women, and now you are. I went, oh, that is good. I'm using that. Because normally people say, six daughters, oh, you poor thing. And it was so nice to have somebody celebrate it like that because I've always, I try to celebrate and I try to talk about it, what a blessing it is. Uh, and people just look at me like, yeah, 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 whatever. You really, you know, whatever. And, and now I've got the perfect line for the rest of my life. He set me up. I'm, I'm, I'm just delighted. I'm thrilled. Okay, well, I, I have a, a message that I, I really pray will touch your hearts today. I, um, I want you to know that the most important words that you hear today are not the things that I'm going to be saying. They're the words that will come to your heart and your mind as you listen to God and His Spirit. In John 14, 26, we read that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Everything that Jesus has said will be reminded of as we have his spirit with us, as it applies to our lives. So, of course, listen to my words, but listen 
to what those words mean as God speaks to you, because that's much more important than anything that I'm going to say. I do really pray that my words will bring his words to your remembrance. Um, Let's start. As Christians, we should be the best parents in the world. We should be, because we have his word to guide us. It's been written by inspired prophets and apostles, declaring what he has said to them how we should live our lives, how we should be guided in our life. Uh, we, we have Jesus Christ as our model, flawless, sinless, the perfect example. Unfortunately, when we look at the research, there have been studies conducted where uh, researchers have thought, well, I wonder what the Christians are like. I wonder what that denomination is like. I wonder what they're like as parents. And when we compare Christians to any other group of parents, we're not that different. Now, I think that we need to repent. I think that that's an indictable offense. We've got to be better than everyone else. We've got more instruction, more inspired instruction than any other group on earth. And we're not actually measuring up. We're not any different according to the research. So... I'm going to suggest to you that there are things that we can do that are not the norm that can help us to be much more Christ-like. And I'm going to share three things with you today in the time that I have that will help you in your families, regardless of your family structure. If, if you have relationships with other people, these things will help. If you have children, they will help even more. But so long as you have relationships with other people, this will be useful. I want you to, for those of you who are parents, for those of you who are living the life, Living the dream. You should know. I haven't mentioned this, but poor old Fraser and Chloe have heard this. This is the third time now. So I'm going to mix it up a little bit just for you guys. Um, And if you come along tomorrow night, you'll hear a lot more about what I'm about to mention. But research shows that when we become a parent, our happiness level is about here. We're happy. We look at each other and say, wow, this is fantastic. And then our happiness starts to go like this. Until they turn 16. You know, will you stand up, please? This is what a 16-year-old looks like, okay? In eight weeks, six weeks, six weeks, thank you. Once, once they turn 16, you know what happens to your happiness? It falls through the floor. <laughs> now, it actually can start when they're about 13. Abby, stand up. This, this is where it actually really starts to plummet, but at 16, kaboom, that's it. So I'm, I'm living the dream right now. In, in my home. And we have plenty of opportunities for me to practice the things that I'm going to talk to you about today. And sometimes I get it right. And far too often, even me, the parenting expert, I still struggle with it. I'm at the coal face and I'm digging and sometimes I get a bit dirty from all the stuff that I'm digging up. Um, but what do, you, what do you typically say when, when your children start to get challenging? When your children, I'm going to make an assumption that many of you have more than one, when your children start becoming irritable with one another, And they start saying something like, she hit me, he hit me, you did it first, and and all that sort of stuff happens. Or or they they shout at you and they say, mum, I can't stand it anymore. And you say, what's the matter? And your child looks at you and she says, he's breathing my air. You know, they do this annoying stuff, or they won't eat their dinner, or they they wake you up, you know, know, Sunday morning, you, you, you... You do just want to have a sleep in once a week, even if it's just an extra 30 minutes. But yet on Sunday morning, you wake up, and guess who's sitting on your head? (laughs) 
the toddler. They've come in, they've climbed out of their cot or whatever, and they're, they're in there and they've climbed all up on the bed and they literally sit with their wet nappy on your head or something like that. And you just think, this is not what I signed up for. It's not meant to be like this. And we tend to respond to our children if we're typical, and I'm sure that some of you are wonderfully enlightened, but if we're typical parents, what we tend to do, and the research shows that most of us are pretty typical, is we respond in ways that aren't necessarily Christ-like. You know what I'm saying? That's, a, that's, a, that's one of those sniggers that goes, yeah, yeah, I've, I've been there. I'm, I'm struggling with that one myself. So uh, let, let's go through a couple of things that we might do. We might um, start to get annoyed and we might start to make threats. If you don't stop that, you know what's going to happen, don't you? I'll tell you what's going to happen. And then we, you know, and we're thinking about it. We're thinking, what, what can happen that I'm okay with happening? But we'll frighten them. You know, we, we start trying to work it all out. And, and we, we struggle with them. As soon as we start yelling, shouting, we take things off them. We withdraw their privileges. We send them to their room. We say, how old are you? You're 13, right? You go to your bedroom for 14 minutes and you think about what you've done. Now, you know what they do, don't you, when they go to their room? They sit down on the chair in their room or they sit down on the bed in their room and they calmly think to themselves, you know, mum and dad are right. I have been an impediment to the well-being of our family for a few days now and I really had this coming. And when I leave this room, I'm going to be a better person. Said no teenager ever. <laughs> Said no child ever. You know what they do? They sit there and they rock backwards and forwards on the edge of their bed or on their seat, and they go, I hate my mum. I hate her. She doesn't understand. She doesn't know what's going on. She didn't see what happens. She's just judging me. It's not fair. It's not, you know, and, and then they start to, yeah, they, they, they say, mum said, if I ever catch you doing that again, so help me, bad things are going to happen. But she's never going to catch me doing that again. I'm going to be so much sneakier next time. <laughs> And they start to say all this, when I get out of here, I'm going I'm to give my sister heaps when mum's not watching. But I'll wait till mum's not, I'll be very sneaky. And we don't actually make things better. In fact, think about those typical reactions that you show to your children, the typical response to your kids when they drive you mad. Unfortunately, too many of us hit our children as well. And research shows the vast majority of Australians not just hit them, but are in favour of them, in favour of it. And... Christians are one of the worst offenders. There's something called right-wing authoritarianism. It's a psychological idea. And it seems that because Christians are often fairly right-wing in their views and fairly conservative in their views, you know, there's an entire parenting philosophy that hangs off a couple of scriptures in the Bible where it seems that we're supposed to beat our children, according to a couple of uh, scriptures, usually in Proverbs. I'm not saying anything about Proverbs. I'm just saying I'd rather listen to what Jesus has to say than what the author of Proverbs has to say, but, but I'll come to that later. Um, what happens in your home? What happens in your home when you behave like that? When you shout, when you threaten, when you send them to the room, when you hit them? Do you feel good? Do you feel calm? Do you feel like, ah, this is just how it should be? This is what God wants. Let's go to, let's go to um, open up the word to Galatians 5. You will know this. I'm sure you've got this memorized. It's one of my favorites. Galatians 5, 22. I didn't hear any woo. Yeah. That's what I got last night. Okay, Galatians 5, 22. 
Here's what it says, and I'm sure you've got it there and you can read along. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. It seems interesting to me that when our children challenge us, that should be the time where we say, Heavenly Father, I need your help right now. I need your spirit to guide me right now. You know what we do, though? We say, you know what? I got this. I got that. I'll do it my way. Don't need your help. We actually do the very things that expel his spirit. We, we kick his spirit out. We, we're not able to be guided by him because if you go back a few verses to verse 16, it says this. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So when our kids do whatever they want, we get cranky at them and then we do whatever we want. We get mad at them. We say, God, I'm not going to do what you want. I'm going to do what I want because I'm mad right now and I've got to just let them know. I've got to teach them a lesson. And you know what they learn? They learn that the big person wins. They learn that it's all about power. It's all about coercion. It's all about control. I don't see God doing that to us. Today's Father's Day. This is a Father's Day message. He's the perfect model for us. I don't see him forcefully controlling me. I see him regularly inviting me to be good and to follow him. But I don't get a great big thunderclap out of heaven or a foot stomping on me when I make a mistake. What do we do to our children? And is it what God does with us? Um, let me go on. Let's, let's go to verse 19. Now, I'm going I'm to summarize here because not all the things that Paul talks about in this verse are relevant to the parenting domain, or at least I hope they're not. So I'm going to just sort of flick over a few of them. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh. Sorry, one of my little babies has just come in, and now she's going out. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And can I add to what Paul said? I'm not going to pretend to be an apostle or anything like that. But if I was to add to what Paul said just there, I would also say, and those who live like this will not inherit happy families. If we want happy families, we need to have God's spirit to guide us and direct us. In fact, I believe with all sincerity that the most important ability that we can acquire in this life is the ability to receive, let me rephrase that, to qualify for, to receive, and to act on God's promptings through his spirit most important thing if we don't have his guidance we are on our own we need his guidance especially in our parenting especially in our parenting but when you think about all those typical things that we do the typical responses to our kids because they drive us mad sometimes more than understandably like when they're sitting in the front row at church and they're playing on their mobile phones she's looking up galatians it's okay um, sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. Um, when, when, we, when we get mad, we actually 
disqualify ourselves from his spirit. We do it on our own. We don't do it with his guidance. And our family cannot be nearly as happy. Because what feels better? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. I love this one, faithfulness. Are we being faithful to our children when we're yelling and screaming at them, when we're threatening them? when we're sending them to their rooms or hitting them? Is that faithfulness to our children or to God? I, I can't help but think that it's not quite faithfulness to them. Oh, and gentleness and self-control. I have a mantra that I repeat consistently when my children drive me mad. I'll say it about every seven minutes. Calm and kind. Calm and kind. I'm just going to be calm and kind. Because I know that if I can be calm and kind, I'm much more likely to be receptive to what God is saying to me. And I know that if I'm being angry and out of control, I'm not listening to him because his voice is still and small and soft. It whispers to me. And if I'm so busy shouting at my kids, I won't hear him. I can't hear him. So we drive away God's spirit when we act the typical ways that we do. So my first thing that I want to share with you today is that if we want to be great fathers, we need to drive contention from our lives and invite his spirit in, especially at the times when it's the hardest to bring it in. I have a saying that our children need our love the most at the time that they deserve it the least. And that's the time when we need his spirit to guide us the most because we don't want to give them love right at that moment. I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure you know what I mean by that. Let me read this to you and then I'll move on to the second point. How often do we see parents demand obedience, good behavior, kind words, pleasant looks, and a sweet voice from their children when they themselves are full of bitterness and scolding? How unreasonable and inconsistent is this? Okay, let's move on to the second thing. Number one, we need God's spirit with us to be Christ-like parents. Number two, a Father's Day scripture from Paul. Ephesians, let's open it up. Ephesians 6, 4. Now, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption that most of you are using an NIV or maybe the American Standard. NIV? Yep, Okay. Okay, I, I'm, I'm using the King James for this one. I, I like the wording of the King James. Just oh, I've, got a, I've got a fist pump in the back. It's King James. Let's do it. Now, the wording is just slightly different here, but I think that the King James in this case is, is more instructive and much more helpful for us as parents. This is what Paul says, Ephesians 6.4, and note who this is addressed to. And you fathers. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, you know, when we get angry with our kids, what do we do? Do they sit there and they say, you know, you're justified in being angry at me and I'm going to calmly sit here and take it. We do, they, they do the opposite, don't they? they? They become quite angry themselves. They become defensive. They become upset. So when we get angry with our children, we actually provoke wrath in them. He says, provoke. I believe that it's against our religion to be contentious. I believe it's against our religion to be angry. I don't think Jesus wants us to be angry. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Two words, nurture and admonition. Nurture, what does that mean? Support, encourage, guide. No, no, probably not guide, probably more um, protect. Protect and support and encourage. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about nurturing. Protect your children, support them, encourage them. That's nurture, isn't it? Make them feel safe, open your arms, hug them, help them to feel nurtured. 
What does it mean to give admonition? I used to think that admonish, you know, if you admonish your child, you, let me tell you how it is. I've got to admonish you now. You did the wrong thing. Listen up. Put that phone away. That kind of thing. She's got the phone out again. She's in Ephesians. It's okay. (laughs) Different child. I told you it was every seven minutes. Calm and kind. Calm and kind. Um, The dictionary says that admonition does not mean what I thought it meant. It means this. Gentle or friendly reproof. Gentle or friendly reproof. That's a bit different to what I thought it was. Gentle or friendly reproof. Um, As a second definition, it says counsel or warning against fault or oversight. So it seems that this is all about giving gentle direction and being warm and friendly and kind. This is wonderfully consistent with what he said to the Galatians. And, And here's the interesting thing. When I speak with church groups... One of the things that comes out often, or when I even speak one-on-one with people who have a a strong Christian background, I'll say, well, what about the scripture where it says, spare the rod, spoil the child? You all heard that that scripture? Yeah. Do you know where it's found? Anyone know where you would find that scripture? That's a trick question. It's not a scripture. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't exist. What it does say in Proverbs, and it is Proverbs, but let's go ahead anyway, it's Proverbs 13, 24, it says this, if we spare the rod, we hate our son, but if we love our son, we will chasten him from time to time. What does chasten mean? Well, it means to give gentle or friendly reproof. It means to redirect. It means to teach them the right way. We're taught to raise our children up in the right way so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. What's the right way? How many times have I told you, go to your room, I'm going to hit you if you do it again, give me your iPad, you're done. Is that the right way? Is that Christ-like? If we raise them up in that way, what will they do? They will not depart from it. Children learn what they live. There's a wonderful poem called Children Learn What They Live. Now, back to Proverbs 13, 24. If we spare the rod, we hate our son. I've done a little bit of research into this. I looked up rod. There's a number of different meanings of rod and a number of different translations of rod. And it turns out that in Proverbs 13 and 24, rod is translated as shebet. And that word refers to the kind of rod that a shepherd uses. What does a shepherd use the rod for? Does a shepherd use the rod to beat his sheep? Never especially the good shepherd. He uses it to gently guide his sheep and to protect his sheep, but never to beat his sheep. Isn't that interesting? Now, we have entire Christian philosophies on parenting built on this particular verse and the verse that doesn't even exist called Spare the Rod, Spoil the Child, saying that as a result of that, we're supposed to be hitting our children. In fact, there is a Christian sect over in the United States, and the leader of that sect, you might have heard this on the news a couple of years ago, has written a book talking about how if we really look carefully at this, what it means is we're supposed to hit our children with rods, but since we can't do that, use the PVC piping. It works very well. He's written books about it. Can you believe that? And it's not what Jesus would have us do. He would have us to nurture and admonish our children. So that's the second thing that I want to share with you. Now, in the interest of time, um, we, we were running a little bit late, but I want to be, 
I want to honour your time today because it's Father's Day and a lot of you have got other commitments and things. I'm going to do my best to finish no more than 15 minutes late, I promise. No, I'm just kidding. I'll do my best to... I'm supposed to be wrapping up at about now. I want to share just one... There, there, there are two kinds of people in the world who can count. I want to share with you one more idea. But let me quickly summarise. Number one, we need God's spirit with us if we want to be great parents, if we want to be Christ-like parents. Number two, we need to nurture and admonish our children, which means that we need to support and encourage and protect them, and we need to gently and friendly guide, gently and in a friendly way guide them and steer them in the right way. The third thing that I want to share with you comes from... You know what, just before I share the third thing, no, no, let's go into the third thing, otherwise you'll miss your Father's Day lunch. We can talk about this a whole lot more tomorrow night. Now, tomorrow night, by the way, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be religious, so come along and bring any friends who are not religious as well. We're just going to talk about parenting. We're just going to talk about parenting without the religious stuff, but you'll, you'll get a good sense of where we're going, and I'm going to tell you how to do this stuff, because today we're really talking about principles. I'll tell you how to do it. But I want to share one more thing with you to wrap things up. If we've got his spirit with us, it will be easier to do this. If we've got his spirit with us and we're friendly and kind and, and what have you, we'll be able to do this. And we're going to go to the perhaps the most encouraging and compassionate parable in all of Holy Writ. It's in Luke 15. And um, it's the parable of the prodigal or wasteful son. Prodigal means wasteful. And I want to share a little bit of the history uh, the, the cultural history of what's going on in this parable as I run through it. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We don't quite have the time for that. Luke 15, 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, you know what's really interesting about this? When those who were living in ancient Jerusalem did this, it was terribly dishonorable. They were not supposed to do this. It dishonored the parents and they could actually be disowned for it, if not imprisoned. They were abandoning agricultural work, which was highly prized, and they were dishonoring their parents. So this young man was lucky that he was not disowned. He had a compassionate, good father. He divided his property between them and not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And you know what he did? He squandered it in wild living. And then he was so destitute that he found himself feeding swine just to make a living and he still did not have enough to feed himself. And eventually he came to his senses. Oh, by the way, if you were Jewish and you were feeding swine, you were coming into contact with what was terribly unclean. And to raise swine was a fairly grievous sin. So he came to his senses and decided that he would go to his father and say to him, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I love that phrase because that tells me something deeply meaningful about this father. He was looking for him. He was watching for him because he was a long way off when his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him.
Then it says he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but culturally, it was terribly unusual. Thank you, I need them. This happens every time. It doesn't matter how many times I share this. It never ceases to have an impact on me. It was culturally unusual, to say the least. A man running was unusual and it was not the done thing. It was unrefined. And then the scriptures tell us he fell on his neck and he kissed him. I think that this may be one of the most beautiful examples of what God wants for us to be as parents, particularly as fathers. As I was researching more about the prodigal son, I came across a poem on the internet that I want to share with you. And then I'll close. <clears throat> the poem is by a lady by the name of Mary Lyman Henry, and it's called, To Any Who Have Watched for a Son's Returning. He watched his son gather all the goods that were his lot, anxious to be gone from tending flocks, the dullness of the fields. He stood by the olive tree gate long after the caravan disappeared where the road climbs the hills on the far side of the valley into infinity. Through changing seasons, he spent the light in a great chair facing the far country and that speck of road on the horizon. Mocking friends, he will not come. Whispering servants, the old man has lost his senses. A chiding son, you should not have let him go. A grieving wife, you need rest and sleep. She covered his drooping shoulders, his calloused knees when east winds blew chill. Until that day, a form familiar, even at infinity, in shreds, alone, stumbling over pebbles. When he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Earlier in the week, I gave a seminar to some parents in southwestern Sydney, a very troubled area, a really tough area, and those parents were having a hard time. At the end of the seminar, a man came over to me. He's from South America, and he wept. He said to me, Justin, my children are afraid of me. When I move my hand, I watch them flinch and they jump because all of my life, whenever they've done the wrong thing, I've threatened them and I've hit them and I've punished them. He said, what you've shared with me today helps me to know what Papa God wants me to do as a father. Now, I was grateful for the compliment, but more than that, what he said struck me because he called our heavenly father, Papa. Papa God, I thought, is that the kind of relationship that we have with him, that we could go to him and say, Papa, you know, when our children are young, they run to us, dads, and they say, Daddy, Daddy, 
there's such an intimacy in that. And if we keep our relationships right, we can keep that precious, pure, innocent intimacy. Our Father, God, Papa, will welcome us with open arms if we return to him. He waits eagerly for us, staring into the distance, watching that speck on the horizon at infinity. He wants us to be with him. He loves us. He's a good, good, good father. So it's my prayer, and I'll close with this, that we will love our children the way that he has shown. Number one, with his spirit as our guide. Number two, with nurture and admonition. And number three, with an ever welcoming embrace. In Jesus' name, amen.